Thank you, Sarah and Heather. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. If you enjoy uh, our worship team, make sure occasionally you let them know that. Uh, they, they are a blessing. They spend a lot of time preparing, and uh, I'm sure they appreciate your, your uh, encouragement. So... Uh, don't really have any updates on any uh, announcements. Just uh, keep an eye on the church calendar. We'll try to keep things up to date in the church website for any information that we need to get to you. Uh, we do have a couple updates on prayers. Excuse me. Uh, Joanne Farnsworth, um, as you know, hasn't been with us in quite some time. Probably, probably will not be able to. Uh, uh, come back and, and be with us in person uh, in the future. Uh, she is going to probably need to go into a, a care home for a while. She broke her collarbone uh, several weeks ago, and uh, they just found out that it was actually a break and uh, was going to need some care. And uh, so keep keep her in prayer and keep Marcy, her one of her daughters, in prayer, who is the uh, the care giver or caretaker for Joanne at home. She lives with Joanne and uh, it's becoming uh, quite a lot of work for her in the sense for 24-7 care by herself and uh, we want to keep her in prayer. And uh, I know uh, Lee Pollard or uh, Patricia Pollard uh, has surgery on a knee tomorrow. I'm not quite sure what the knee surgery is about, but uh, just pray that, uh, that the surgery will be uh, successful, and that there won't be any infections. So, any other any other prayer requests I need to update? I know those two. Bob. Oh, okay. Okay, and just uh, repeating it for the people who may be watching the live stream. They probably didn't hear you. Uh, just asking for prayer for a, a man named Dan who works down at the lumber mill. And he had an accident uh, recently and uh, lost a, a leg in the accident. So uh, we'll pray for Dan too. So let's uh, bring these before the Lord and then we'll, we'll look in this morning's text. Father, again we come to you and just... Uh, would like to thank you. We'd like to worship you and praise you this morning. We would like to be able to not only in our daily life receive the many blessings that you so richly pour upon us, Lord, and, and, and you do that because of your great love for us. But, Lord, we want to be men and women of Christ that are, are grateful and thankful for what we receive and to... Thank you for that. Lord, you deserve all the praise and honor and glory that you um, uh, so richly deserve. And we pray, Father, that through the circumstances that we may go through in life, and including the current circumstances with the pandemic and other things that are going on, Lord, we don't know how 
you could receive any glory or praise through these types of circumstances, but we know that you say in your word that you can use even the bad things in life to bring glory to yourself and to to carry out your work. And we pray, Father, that whatever that work may be, that it is accomplished exactly like you want it to be. We pray for the loss uh, among us. We pray for the loss in our families, Lord. We pray for our children and grandchildren if they may be um, uh, just gaining the, the age of understanding about Christ and maybe hasn't uh, quite understood yet what salvation is all about. But, Lord, we pray for the salvation of our, our children and our grandchildren. And we pray that it will happen at an early age. We pray that you'll help us as a church, help us as family members to be diligent in putting the love of Jesus and the need for Jesus before the lives of these children in our, in our families. Help us to be diligent, Lord, in, in teaching Jesus and teaching his word uh, to our children. Lord, we pray for those that uh, can't be with us today. They're thinking of Joanne in particular and uh, just asking that you will be with her, with her uh, new period of time in life where she is struggling with uh, being able to, to, to not fall and, and, and have uh, stability problems. We just ask that you will comfort her. That uh, with this break that she has, we ask, Father, that you will heal it and heal it quickly and that uh, you might protect her in whatever way needs to take place to keep her from, from having these falls anymore. Be with Marcy. We pray for strength for her. We pray for wisdom and in, in, in with her other sister and in, in how to best care for their mother. And we, uh, we just thank you for the, the women who have been reaching out to the, this family and in encouraging them as this has been going on, and we pray that it might sow some seed that will be fruitful someday. And Lord, we pray for Lee and ask that you will be with her surgery, whatever corrective surgery this is on her knee, and just ask that it will be successful, that there won't be any infection, and that it will repair whatever the problem is. And uh, for the others that uh, are our uh, not able to come, Jackie Davis and Jan Alton and Diane uh, Van, others, Lord, that uh, we just pray for them. We just uh, uh, thank you for them and ask that you, you help us to be um, careful not to forget them just because we haven't seen them from week to week. And we might encourage them. We especially will pray for them and, uh, and just reach out to them occasionally. We pray that you be with us with your teaching today. As we go through your word and ask for uh, wisdom, ask for boldness, and ask that you help me to be correct in what I say. And, uh, and we pray especially that our ears and eyes and hearts will be open and softened to your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, children, you can head to your class and be nice. Mrs. Gill is in there today. Be on your best behavior. I know you will.
Well, today we are looking at the life of David in our reading through the Bible together. Hopefully you have been uh, doing that and staying as close to schedule, to be honest with you. I don't know if I'm ahead of the normal schedule or just behind the normal schedule or if I'm right on schedule, but uh, we have been reading every day, and uh, uh, even Lisa and I now somehow have gotten off with a chapter or two between each other, so I'm not even sure which which day I wish the schedule would be a little more specific on, you know, today you read this, <laughs> but, but uh, we pray that you will... Uh, make that effort to, to, to read this year with us. We've been enjoying it, and uh, it will help you too because the sermons are based on the readings. We were thinking when we were writing this uh, schedule out that it'd be on the readings that we have been reading in the week past, but I think today will be another one that you may actually be just now getting into Second Samuel. So uh, either way... Um, the sermons are based on the readings that we're doing, and uh, we hope that it's uh, it's helpful to you to get a better understanding of what you're reading in the, that particular book, and then uh, pointing out uh, different things to you that we hope is encouraging uh, to you. Um, the book of Second Samuel is where we'll be uh, looking at today, and uh, this book tells David's life story. So my, my focus today is, is on David, uh, which basically covers all of Second Samuel. Uh, David is probably one of the most known of Bible characters for Christians and probably for the Jewish community too. Um, David is a significant figure in the Jewish history. So uh, they may not even be practicing Orthodox Jews, but they would know who David is. And uh, same with most Christians, most people who go to church, you have probably heard of David. If you grew up in a Christian family or not, you probably have heard stories about this man, David. Many children grow up hearing simple Bible stories of him, such as when David killed Goliath with a slingshot, or maybe when he killed a lion or a bear to protect his sheep. Most of us probably know that he was a great king in Israel and that he wrote many of the Psalms. But how many of us look at David as a warning and as an encouragement for how we should live our lives? And yes, it can be both, an encouragement and a warning. Last week, Bob preached on 1 Samuel and taught on the story of Saul, who was Israel's first king, whose life ended so tragically. And seems like most his life was a tragic life with the things that took place and his decisions he was making. When we compare David's life story to the story of Saul, we see a different man in many ways. But specifically, according to the prophet Samuel, in 1 Samuel 13, Saul was disobedient and God rejected him because of that disobedience. 
in 1 Samuel 13, it says of Saul, you have done foolishly, never a good start of a conversation you have with God. You have done foolishly. You have kept the command, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So God rejected Saul because of his disobedience, And he chose another. And we'll find, of course, in this reading that we're doing, that this man was David. One resource that I used while preparing for this morning was written by Phillips Long. And the article began by saying, The books of Samuel are about Israel's first kings, Saul and David. Who they were, how they came to the throne, And how they fared. But more than that, the books are about the great king, God himself. In the riveting stories of 1 and 2 Samuel, we catch glimpses of who God is, what he does, what life is like with him and without him, and what life can become by his grace and in the power of his spirit. These stories are part of our family history as children of Abraham by faith. They are meant to instruct us on whom the end of the ages has come to teach us endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures to give us hope in order that we may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought that was a good introduction to his article and a good glimpse of what First and Second Samuel is all about. As we read this book, 2 Samuel, we see that David had accomplished much in his life. But we also see a man who is a sinner, just like us. We read of David's exploits, and we read of some failures. Could this not be a story in some ways of all human life? And how we as humans in the flesh might live. The record of lust, adultery, and murder that we read in chapters 11 through 13 are a reminder to us that even great people who try to follow God are susceptible to temptation and sin. We may ask, how is it that God called David a man after his own heart? Hopefully, you'll leave this morning having a little better understanding if I do my job right. We're not told in the scriptures why God chose David. As with Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and Saul, and others, All these men that God had chosen and used mightily in their own ways and in the ministries they had for them, 
However, we frequently don't get an explanation of God's decisions. He just, maybe we wouldn't understand them. I'm not sure why he doesn't. But none of these men would have been on the top of the candidate list for employment in their roles by any sane company today. When you look at their lives, you just go, wow, God, why did you pick that man? But we learn from God's word that while humans examine outward appearances, God looks at the heart. God values the character of a person above all other personal details. We get a glimpse of that from a passage Bob read last week in 1 Samuel chapter 15, which says that obedience is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. To the people of Old Testament times, the heart was more than just the central organ that moved the rest of the body. It gives physical life, but it was also the place where you think and make sense of the world. One of the goals that we should have when we're reading Scripture, because it was written to an Eastern mind with different customs and different thought patterns than we in the West, is just try to figure out how they would receive it and what it means to them. And understanding the heart to the Old Testament listeners is one of those things that helps us to understand better the scripture that we have before us. It gives physical life, but it also is the place where you think and make sense of the world, where you feel emotions and make choices. So, for instance... When, in the old, when the Old Testament people heard the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, which says, Hear, O Lord, or Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, your might. They knew that this was a call for them to devote their whole life their whole body, mind and feelings and desires, as well as their future and failures to God. It was a total commitment to God. That passage should have the same meaning for us today. One lesson that we can learn from David's life is that godliness does not guarantee an easy and carefree life. We'll speak on this a little more as we go on. So 2 Samuel, in the beginning verses of 2 Samuel, we have King Saul had just died at the end of 1 Samuel. At his own hands, we're told. And the news of the Lord's appointed king being dead and the further loss of his friend Jonathan, Saul's one of Saul's sons, brought great sadness to David, and he grieved. The writer of Second Samuel documented David's humility and his compassion 
as he grieved the death of his own enemy. For here we, was King Saul. If you remember reading in 1 Samuel, he sought to kill David on numerous occasions, not just one, numerous times Saul sought to kill him. And at his death, David is saddened and grieves for him. This is because David never wavered in his understanding that Saul was God's anointed king. His choice at that time to lead his people. And David trusted that God knew what he was doing. Just read a day or two ago about the, the event of, of when uh, Saul was going out after David. And remember, he went into the cave. And that's where David and his men were hiding. And David had the opportunity and his men encouraged him to kill him. And instead he went and he just cut a corner of his robe off and stayed hidden. And when Saul left, he made himself known in what he did and his thinking. And at that time, he used the same words that, who am I to kill God's anointed one? God picked this man. I'm, I'm not going to kill him, even though he could have. As the book of Second Samuel continues, we read that David was anointed king of Judah. Remember that the kingdoms of Judah and Israel were divided at this particular time. And then in chapter 5, he was also anointed the king of Israel, which reunited the, the kingdom into one nation again. David had successes and victories by God's direction and power over his enemies and the enemies of, of Israel. And eventually the nation enjoyed a period of peace and prosperity with their neighbors. David conquered Jerusalem and entered the city and established it as his capital. And then he brought the Ark of the Covenant there, making the city the center of Israelite worship. That's where the tabernacle was set up. And as Phillips Long had stated in his introduction, and as I've been going through these readings, I've been uh, working on trying to find that scarlet thread of redemption in the different books. So while trying to find that scarlet thread in this Old Testament book, we come to an important passage of chapter 7. The Bible Project writers, on their uh, overview for this Second uh, Samuel, says that this chapter is not only a key passage for the book, but it's also the key chapter to understanding the whole storyline of the Bible. Because it brings up about the Messiah and coming from David's descendants and what's going to take place. It describes a lot of that. It's a key chapter. And we're going to look a little bit at some of the verses here. Uh, starting in verse 1, if you want to turn to Second Samuel 7. 
verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Up to this time in in 2 Samuel, I can imagine that David probably thought that life has been pretty good. He's been finally received into the position of the the king and leader of a combined Israel, the combined kingdoms of Israel. His enemies have been put in their place and peace is, is settling around the land and with the neighbors. Things are probably pretty good in his mind. But David looked at what he enjoyed. And he saw that the worship of Jehovah was still being done in a tent. And he wanted to build a temple or a building to honor and worship God in. And in First Chronicles 22, we'll eventually get to that reading, but that's where we find some of the information to kind of fill in the blanks here. David told Solomon, his son, that God denied him the right to build the house in his name. And I'll leave it for you to read that later to find out the reason he gave. But instead, God told David that he was going to make a covenant with him and his descendants. This covenant is known to us and people who study the Bible as the Davidic covenant. And then look down at verse 11, where we'll pick up again in chapter 7. And it says, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Or another way to understand that is a dynasty. When your days are fulfilled, And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I, told, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The prophet Nathan predicted a short-term and a long-term future for David. David would have a son who would rule after him. Nothing too unusual about that in the sense of the son of a king or queen is the one who typically is the heir. But he tells them that you're going to have a son and he's going to rule after you. And this is fulfilled by his son Solomon. And Solomon built or built a uh, temple, a house for the Lord, 
That was accomplished in that fulfillment of prophecy. And God promised to love and discipline Solomon when he sinned, which I thought was interesting to point out to to David. It wasn't if he sinned, but when he sinned, because God knew he would sin and would need to be disciplined. The covenant doesn't stop with Solomon, though. It extends past Solomon's life because God said David's throne will be established forever. The eternal nature of the covenant is stated in absolute and unconditional terms. And forever in Scripture really means forever, to no end. This kingdom will last into eternity. And this will be fulfilled through the Messiah. The Messianic promise to David is further developed in the books of Psalms and some of the Old Testament prophets. This coming king is connected all the way back to David's or God's promise to Abraham uh, earlier in the Old Testament. When God told Abraham that he will bless him and make his name great, and through him, through Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. It's through the future messianic kingdom that God will bring his blessings to all the nations. That's how it will be fulfilled. After receiving this promise from God, David was probably overwhelmed. He wanted to express his gratitude to God, even though he knew and understood that God's actions are done to honor his own character and fame, not David's. But he wanted to show his gratitude to him. After chapter 7, for a few more chapters, everything is going pretty well in David's life. And then we get to chapter 11. David had reestablished the United Kingdom. He's conquered, conquered many of the domestic and, and international enemies of Israel. He's been told of this covenant that God is making with him and his family. And then chapter 11. In this chapter, we're told that David was tempted with lust. And more than that, that he sinned. He gave in to the lust. Now, David being tempted to sin is not when he did wrong. Temptation is not sin. We're all tempted. You're not sinning when you're tempted. And that's the same thing with David. That wasn't when he sinned. That wasn't when he was wrong. I mean, even Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. But he is without sin. It's not the temptation, but it's what you do with the temptation that makes it a sin. David was tempted with lust 
which as we continue reading about his life, seems to be one of his weak points in life. And don't think that Satan doesn't know that about David. Don't think that Satan doesn't know my weak spots or your weak spots. And he won't make every effort to try to trip you up with those weak spots. He knows our weaknesses and he'll try to drag us down if he can by using them. David did give in and he allowed it to fester and eventually he pursued his lusts. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and she became pregnant with his child. And as if that wasn't enough, he then had her husband murdered to try to cover it all up. Wow, what happened? If I was reading this as a a book that I got off of Amazon, I'd probably close it right now and wait till tomorrow to start reading again because you just sit there going, wow, what just happened? Nothing in the previous chapters could have prepared us for what David did, nor how far, far that he had fallen. This story is intended to be a warning for us today. We need to read this story and be on guard in our own Christian walk. Don't think that you are not able to fall as fast and as far as David fell. This could happen to you. This could be your story. There are many Christian men and women in positions of great influence that have sadly found out the hard way. No matter how great you may be, no matter how successful you may think you've become, no matter how strong you think you are spiritually, we are humans just like David. And just like David, we are able to give in to temptations and commit sin. And yes, even as bad and gross as what he did. Fortunately, we don't have another story that ended like the life of Saul in 1 Samuel when we read David's story. Because his story doesn't end here. God confronted David through his prophet concerning his sins. And David's response is what makes him a man after God's own heart. Unlike Saul, who when he sinned blamed others or tried to justify it or to cover it up, when David was confronted with his sin, he was broken. And owned up to it. His heart was softened. 
He confessed his sin. And God forgave him. Matthew Henry notes the true repentance that is seen here when he wrote, David says not a word to excuse himself or extenuate his sin, but freely owns it. David had done great evil, but when God showed him his sins, he agreed with the Lord's evaluation. We get a look at David's heart when we read his prayer in Psalm 51, where it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. These are the words of a broken, repented Man. He continues saying, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, David's heart was not perfect. But yet he recognized his sins and repented of them. That's what it means for a sinner to be a person after God's own heart. Not that we can obtain perfection on this side of glory, but that you love the Lord so much that you agree with him about the truth of your sin and turn from it when you see it. A sad truth about sin is that it often brings with its severe consequences, even when God forgives. I think many Christians are confused by this today in our churches. While they may acknowledge that they've sinned and repent of it, they're frequently surprised or worse, may have their faith shaken because bad things still happen to them after the fact. They feel like they're still being punished for what they did. When it's probably just the consequences that have come from having made the bad decisions in the first place. We see this in David's life, where the consequences of his sins are evident all the way until his death. He lost the first child that Bathsheba was pregnant with, his kingdom and his family fell apart. 
His son Absalom attempted to overthrow him and take away his kingdom. And he too is eventually killed, tragically. David had to live on the run like a fugitive again while his son sought his life. He could have easily sat there and had those same thoughts. But Lord, I confess this. This should be behind me. But there's consequences to his decisions that he made. And he accepts that. David understood the wretchedness of his own heart. And he was a true worshiper who knew that while it's one thing to come to God and give him glory, but it's also an equally critical thing to come to God and recognize his own unworthiness. Again, look at Psalm 51. This isn't what we're taught in our society today. This isn't what we're taught in church a lot of times. We're told that we're basically good. We are not deserving of what we receive from our Heavenly Father. It's His grace and love and mercy that He gives us what He gives us. He's gracious and loving. David was not a spiritual novice when he wrote Psalm 51. It wasn't written when he was spiritually immature. No, it was written at the pinnacle of his life. At the very pinnacle of divine blessing on his life. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who hated sin and unrighteousness in others, but he hated it in himself even more. I hope that you desire to be a person after God's own heart. What a great thing for someone to write on your tombstone at the end of this life for you to be remembered by. Be quick to confess sin and repent of it. Don't let your heart be hardened by what decisions you've made and the sins that you've grabbed on to after being tempted to do it. Turn back to God and confess and repent of them. Because God will forgive you. For God is merciful. He's a forgiving God. And a loving Father who loves you very much. So as the worship team comes, I ask that maybe some of you have things that came to mind while we went through this life of David. 
and you realize that maybe there's something you haven't confessed. During the time of song, maybe it'd be a good time for you to take care of that. If you have a tough time with that or you need to talk to someone uh, about the issue, feel free to see me after the service or Bob or Ted. Grab one of us. We'll be glad to pray with you and see if we can point you in the right direction. But God loves you. God loves you. Go ahead. Walk out and uh, grab one if you want to partake in uh, communion with us. Reading from Mark, uh, chapter 14, when Jesus uh, was meeting with his disciples, uh, 
on Passover before his death. And uh, a lot of things took place just before this, including uh, Judas betraying him. And he had been held king as he came into Jerusalem and worshipped. Now he's sitting down for the last time uh, in that life, in his life, um, celebrating communion with his disciples. And it says in verse 22, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take this as my body. Let's take the bread together. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's take it together. And he continued by saying, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, Until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That future kingdom that we read about in chapter 7. God bless you. You have a wonderful week. Remember whose child you are this week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. Thank you that you love us so much that you'll discipline us and that you will drag us back to where we need to be. We pray, Father, that you will be with us, that you'll strengthen us, that you'll help us to be more worthy of the calling that you have called us to. Help us as we we live day to day in our Christian walk and the various struggles that we go through in the flesh. We pray that you will help us, Lord, to become more and more like Christ. Help us to be men and women who are quick with confessing our sins and repenting of them. And we thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you forgive us. Lord, be with us this week as we are out in the world and just help us to be examples of Jesus to those around us, including our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Jesus. 